we're in this teaching series called Elemental, where we're looking at the vision and the values, like what we care about as a community, who we are as anchor. And each of these six weeks, we're looking at a different passage of scripture in the gospels, which are the four biographies at the beginning of the New Testament that focus on the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're seeing how our values are connected to the way of Jesus. And this has been rich for me so far. Hopefully, it's been encouraging for you as well. And uh, today we're talking about our value hope. Our value hope. And this is exactly kind of what this child dedication that we just did is really about. It's that we have to hope in God as we look forward towards the life that our kids will live. This is an expression of hope. Immediately after the gathering, we're having another expression of hope as we're on the verge of starting Celebrate Recovery here at Anchor. And there's this info session if you are interested in being a part of that. And really what that is, it's an expression of hope as Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step program that is Jesus-centered and helps people find a path towards sobriety. Hope, hope. You're invited to that just down the hallway right after this gathering if you are interested in being a part of that expression of hope. To the passage we're looking at today is in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. It's also going to be up on the screen. And let me just say uh, that this is the immediate passage right after the one we were at next week, or last week. So if you were here last week, uh, it's, you'll see that it's connected right to that. So as we look into the gospel of Mark chapter 5, verse 21, we read this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. They're seeing him coming. They're anticipating it. The crowd is growing. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with them, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Imagine this, this crowd's fixed and full all around Jesus. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And she, when she was heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him, and he turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, and then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and the mother and his disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone or let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Hope. Hope. All of us came in these doors with hope, right? In fact, like, you cannot live without hope. I would say to hope is actually to be human. Would you agree? It's the hope for a spouse, if you are not yet married, that, that, that this spouse might be somehow a compliment to you in all of your life looking forward. Or sometimes it's the hope uh, that a spouse that maybe with a strained relationship might be healed so that you can experience the, the healing and the rest and the beauty that the marriage relationship was designed for. Sometimes it's a hope for a job if you are looking for a job. And sometimes it's a hope that your job might be as stable as you really need and desire it to be. That it might provide for you in the ways that you need to experience provision, hope. Sometimes it's just that the Amazon purchase that you made, and you're looking at the estimated arrival date and you're hoping that it comes before the estimated arrival date because you know that you need that thing and your life will completely change when it arrives and would it just come already? Hope. The neuroscientist Tali Chereau um, in New York Magazine uh, shared some of the findings that she found about studies and the brain and hope. And she says this, she says that through her studies, hopeful college kids get higher GPAs and are more likely to graduate. Hopeful athletes perform better and when injured, experience more rapid healing. In one study, the elderly who said, uh, a study of the elderly, those who said they felt hopeless were more than twice as likely to die during the study and follow-up period than those who were more hopeful. Hope is powerful. You can't evade life without being hope. To hope is to be human. As Dante, uh, the medieval poet, said uh, about entering into hell, his poem, The Inferno, is this picture of entering into hell. Really light stuff, really light stuff. But he said at the very beginning, before you enter, it says, abandon all hope before entering. Whether it's Dante or neuroscience or scripture, at this point, they all say the same thing. To hope is to be human. To hope is to be human. It's interesting, the passage of scripture that we looked at, there's two people that really this passage zooms in on, and in some ways, they couldn't be more different. They couldn't be more apart, especially in the first century Jewish context. There is, first, there's this, there's this man who's this religious political leader. In the first century, uh, a religious leader was also a political leader. I don't wish that to happen currently, so I'm glad it's something that happened in the past, but in the first century, religious political leadership was 
was tied and fused together. This is a person who has power. He's in a place of prestige. And then there's this other person. It says that she has spent all that she has under the care of many doctors, but the pain only grew worse. Have you ever experienced something like that? You're emptying your resources. You're emptying your bank account, and the pain doesn't go away. Not only that, but for her, because of this hemorrhage, she was ritually unclean. She couldn't enter into the temple. And so you have this powerful man and this woman who is ostracized and has no resources. And they're right in the story, right next to each other. One approaches publicly because of his notoriety and his prestige. He can come forward and and expect people to move out of the way and and pay attention to him. And and the conversation stops when he steps onto the stage. And then there is another who has to approach privately because of the shame that she can't get out of her head. And of course, maybe the most obvious, but the biggest difference in the first century world is one is a man and the other is a woman. They couldn't be more farther apart for a first century world. But it's interesting, Mark is wanting us to see them as actually more similar than different. He's employing the strategy that he sometimes used called the Markin sandwich. Now, you cannot go to MSM on 6th Ave and get a Markin sandwich. I thought that was funnier than apparently you did. <laughs> Some of you are like, MSM? Ask somebody. It's not a sandwich you can buy. It's a, it's a literary retor- a device that Mark uses where he takes this one big story and then inserts something in the middle of it so that you want to compare and contrast both stories. And he's wanting us to do this with this particular story. And so while there's such difference, there's also these interesting comparisons, these interesting similarities. And the first is, is that, that uh, the, the, the woman had been bleeding for 12 years and the man has a, son, or has a daughter that's 12 years old. That's an important detail that is causing us to see the similarities and the man falls on his knees and the woman falls on her knees. So while they're different, Mark is saying to hope is to be human. To be human is to experience desperation and to reach out for that thing that you aren't currently experiencing but you really desire to experience in a hope that you might experience it. That is a human phenomenon. But there's like different types of hope. Like, and it's, when we look at it, you'll start to understand. Like, sometimes we hope, we put our hope in a theory. That if this political ideology works its way into the highest office, then all of, my, all of the things that we want to happen will happen, and everything will be great. Or there's hope in a theory that maybe in my office, when we start integrating this new plan, this new approach, this new strategy, then everything will be great. Hopes and theories often disappoint. Then there's hope in humanity. In this dating relationship, in this new employer, in this new friend. Sometimes there's hope in circumstance. If the market is right, if it's not raining, something about the circumstance. Now, not all of these hopes are bad in and of themselves. But like ultimately, from an ultimate perspective, the Christian hope is different from all of those things. 
The Christian hope is not dependent on theory or humanity or circumstance. It is relevant to the present, but goes into the future all the way into eternity. Peter, writing to this bunch of churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, uh, says this, And it's important to note that these people were experiencing ostracization, probably not getting advances or jobs um, because of their faith in Jesus. And Peter, right at the beginning of this letter, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What, what Peter is saying is, he's saying is, because he entered into the tomb dead and walked out alive, that is a hope that not, compared to nothing else, it's better than a theory, it's better than humanity, it's better than circumstance. It is the living hope that will not die because it has defeated death. And when you have that living hope, you may may experience disappointment, but you won't experience defeat. That's important to note. The last two years have been filled with a little bit of disappointment, maybe for you, not for me. I was immune to it. It's been filled with measures and expressions of disappointment, but when you are connected and fixed and, and, and focused on the living hope that you have, the disappointment doesn't mean defeat, even if sometimes it feels like it. It's just a shift of focus. It's reminding yourself. It's knowing who you're connected to. It's knowing your true identity. And when you know this living hope, like Peter, can you imagine? He's writing to people. They've lost jobs. They've been ostracized by their family because of their faith in Jesus. They're kind of being maligned and looked at funny. And Peter's saying, you have something that won't perish, spoil, or fade. You have a living hope. He's telling them that. You see, when we understand that we have a living hope, not something that just exists in a poli-sci textbook or in just a hope for this new relationship. When we, we recognize we have a living hope, we can have audacious hope. Audacious hope. Here's what a description of audacious hope is. Audacious hope is to believe in spite of, because of. I'll say that again. Audacious hope is to believe in spite of, because of to believe in spite of the evidence because of Jesus, right? Philippians 4, 7 says it this way, this brilliantly put by Paul. It says, And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is what's worth focusing on a little bit. Because what Paul's saying here is saying that there's this militant peace this piece that has armor on, that has a sword, that has a shield, that's what? It's protecting your mind. He's saying this piece, it passes all understanding. Here's understanding. It doesn't look good. Here's understanding. You have no reason for hope. Here's understanding. You're a failure. Here's understanding. You're not going to get the, you know, whatever. Fill in the gap. That's understanding. And what does the piece do? It passes understanding. It's out there, past understanding. What is it doing? It's guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When the lies come at you, what guards you? It's the peace. 
that's guarding your heart, that's protecting your audacious hope. Why? Because there's a living hope. The peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Audacious hope is to believe in spite of, because of. Here's how we describe hope here at Anchor. It's audacious. This is on our website. It's how we describe it. We say, at Anchor Church, we believe that no marriage, family, person, neighborhood, or city is beyond hope. In fact, I just want to say it like the word beyond hope is as a term that no Christian should ever use. We will hold to this, not out of mere optimism, but because our hope is rooted in the one that has defeated death. We won't give up or give in. Even as we struggle, we will hold fast um, tight to the hope giver. As I mentioned, I have things, you know, that I have hope for. I I desire. uh, Everybody that walks through the doors has something on their mind when hope is pressed in on, when hope is looked at, when hope is talked about. Because to hope is to be human. I have things, you have things. But here's this principle. It's incredibly profound. Are you ready for it? I don't know if you are. You haven't said me. You haven't told me. Are you ready for it? This is a really profound, very, very deep. You're going to have to really pay attention. Without hope, you don't have hope. Wait for it. But the converse is also true. With hope, you have what? Hope. With hope, you have hope. So let's look at the story again and see where this audacious hope picks up. Where there's this, somehow this peace that passes understanding. That keeps both a man and woman from letting cynicism put its roots down and keep hope at bay. There's a peace that somehow passes understanding. Even though their identity and their understanding of Jesus is still forming, there is this audacious hope that they practice. The woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Man, when I have a bruise for like two weeks, I start complaining. Does anyone, I mean, I'm like, I know I have a diminished vision of chronic pain, but three weeks in a sprained ankle is bad. As I get, as I'm getting older, guys, it gets worse. Some of you are like, dude, you're, I'm, hey, I'm almost 40. I feel like I can say things like that. Can I? No, I don't, no all right. this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Not only that, but like, it says she had suffered more under the care of doctors. Like, I don't know, you know, what you know about first century medical science, but like, the two words don't exist together. So these doctors are probably a mix of not knowing what to do and exploiting her, taking her money, and what does she want? to be free. Add the fact that it's not just a physical thing in the first century, but it's also, it's also a social thing. She can't participate in familial and relational and, and religious life because of the ritual uncleanness that she's experiencing. That's why she has to approach privately. This is a small community, and so everybody knows who she is. It's audacious hope to move through the crowd, to continue to believe that there may be a solution, there may be something out there, yet for me, that's audacious hope. Let me tell you, when, you were a commun- when we become a community of audacious hope, we become powerful. We're not letting the world's know have the last word. 
audacious hope is expressed in this man named Jairus when he, 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 he sees his daughter suffering, but it's, it doesn't keep him from going towards Jesus. It's audacious hope because in some ways he has to lay down his notoriety and his religious vestments as he comes under the teaching and the, and the power of this itinerant rabbi. He has a part of the religious system and he's suspending that as he's publicly going to this man named Jesus that has healed others. Would you heal my daughter? That is audacious hope. It's audacious hope. But it gets even more audacious because at one point they come up to him and they say, let him go. She's passed away. They say it so cavalierly. I'm like, be kinder to this guy. The Greek, uh, when Jesus hears that, uh, it says in my translation, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, but the Greek could be translated as ignoring what they said. I love that. Jesus is like, just don't listen to them. And he turns to him and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Some of us might need to write that on a mirror, write that in a journal. Don't be afraid, just believe. It might be a prayer you need to remember when you're going into a tough conversation, when you're going into a tough day, Jesus' words are ignoring the crowd, ignoring the voices that say it's fruitless, pointless, don't even bother. Ignoring the crowd, Jesus looks at you and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe. Audacious hope. Here's something beautiful, and I, like, what we hope for doesn't, I mean, the, the outcomes are never guaranteed. There is mystery in this. A mystery between God's power, his sovereignty, and all this thing. But we believe, we hold on to the fact that Jesus heals, that Jesus healed them, that the report is true, that God continues to heal, but there's mystery in this. But no matter the outcome, audacious hope is met with God's kindness. Look at this story. You know, Jesus, you know, he says, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, dude, everybody, it's like, this is, a, this is a huge crowd. Like, what are you talking about? Like, everybody's like trying to get your attention, tap you on the shoulder. Everybody's trying to, everybody's touching you, Jesus. You know, they, nobody's giving you like a bubble. No, there's no bubble here, you know, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Who, who touched me? The woman knows exactly because she had felt in her body that she had been healed. She probably knew that because it was a different feeling. And so she shows up at Jesus' feet. It's interesting that she says she told him the whole truth. What was that? She just shared everything. She poured it out. Is it all of her story? Is it how she got sick in the first place? Is it, what is the whole truth? We don't know, but she, she just pours her life out to Jesus in front of everyone that probably knew her and mocked her and ridiculed her and pushed her aside. She shared everything to Jesus. And what is Jesus' response? My daughter. We need to sit on that. Sit with that for a second. Because who's right next to Jesus? Jairus. And Jairus has a daughter too. And Jairus is not very familiar with having to wait because he's a religious elite political leader. And so he's tapping his foot and it's almost as if Jesus is saying, yeah, Jairus, you have a daughter, but this is my daughter who shared all of her truth with me. 
who practice audacious hope with me. Audacious hope is met with God's kindness. Some of the most powerful moments in my own spiritual life are when I have reached out to God in desperation, said, I don't know what, what to look forward to in this situation, but here's what my hopes. Here's what I desire. I know you're powerful. I know there's mystery, but I know you can do in a moment what can take 10 years, so God, would you? And sometimes I've seen the answer, and sometimes the answer has been, Brian, not now, but I love you. Audacious hope is met with God's kindness. And then Jairus, they enter into this home, right? And uh, uh, they're like wailing. And then Jesus uh, says, hey, what's the deal? Why are you wailing? You know, come on, she's just asleep. Then they start laughing at him. I don't know what stage of grief that is, you know. (laughs) The sixth stage of grief. Jesus is not interrupted. He's not distracted. He goes in and he says these words like he speaks in the mother tongue of this little girl. He doesn't speak in the Greek and it's recorded in the Aramaic because in the Aramaic there's this kindness that Jesus would use language that she can readily understand. It's a record of the kindness of God. He says, Talitha kum which means little girl arise. Little girl arise. Audacious hope is met with God's kindness. We're given an invitation to you after this teaching and in the next set of worship and communion for you to practice audacious hope. We believe that God still heals and we believe there's stuff in this room that we need to experience healing from, whether it's emotional healing something that has kept us from experiencing freedom or, or spiritual healing. could be a, a thought pattern in our mind that we can't escape or get out of. And, and God's heart for us is for us to be free. It could be physical healing, that there's something that we just want God to touch us and bring healing to. And while there's mystery to it, we want you to feel freedom to ask for it because God is good and he is powerful and he heals still. So we want to invite you to practice audacious hope by coming up in the next set of worship and here in a little bit and, and say, God, would you heal me? When you're coming to somebody that's offering prayer, you're not ultimately coming to them, you're coming to Jesus. And for some of us, that walk might be too far, but there might be somebody next to you that you can say, would you pray for me? And I would encourage you just to practice that as well. This is a place where we believe healing can happen. So, we see hope is, to, is to be just what it means to be human. Then an audacious hope is, uh, is something we're invited to. It's something we see in the scriptures. And I, 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 what I want to just close with, and band can come up at this point, is this, this question, what does it mean to become a community of audacious hope? Like if we're talking about this vision and values uh, series, it's like, wouldn't it be beautiful in three years down the road for people to be able to point to this community and be like, that, they, 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 they have audacious hope. They might not use those words. But they might say, they believe. They care. They embody it. This is the invitation for us this morning to be a community of audacious hope. There's three things, three things that we can embrace, we can put into practice to become people of audacious hope. The first is to imagine the kingdom. Jesus says, your will be done 
your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And when he shared those words as a formula, as a template for prayer, he gave us permission to imagine the kingdom of God in the midst of our here and present broken world. One of the practices that I do imperfectly is to look at the world and when I see the effects of sin or when I see injustice, when I see pain, when I see a relationship that's strained, I just try to take a second, step back, and just imagine what would the kingdom of God look like here? What would healing look like here? What would would transformation look like here? And what I find is when I start asking that question, what would the kingdom of God look like here? I know how to better interact with God's dream. And I'm interacting not with the state of things as they are, but I'm interacting and praying that the kingdom would come, that that God's dream would show up here, and that God, would you use me to be a part of it? Would I treat the situation not in light of its sin, but in light of its potential? Would I treat this person not in light of their brokenness, but in light of your dream? Would I do that? Would I live in that way? Would we be imagining the kingdom together? And second, would we source resilience? If you've ever tried to make something, you have to try to source it. How am I going to source the raw materials to make the thing? Here's the important thing that, that if we were to source resilience, resilience is, is, is hope in spite of, hope continuing even after disappointment. This is how we source resilience, delineating between hoping in and hoping for. We don't put our hope in a certain outcome. We put our hope in God. Our hope is in the living one. That's why it's a living hope. But we hope for healing. We hope for restoration. We hope for reconciliation. We hope for justice. We hope for shalom. We hope for provision. We hope for more. We hope for God's kingdom to come. We hope for that to happen. That's what we hope for. But where do we hope in God? And when we mix the two things up, disillusionment is always the result. When we think, oh, I'm going to hope in this theory. I'm going to hope in this person. I'm going to hope in this circumstance. All of a sudden, we get confused and disillusioned, and our faith begins to become depleted because we put our hope in something that our hope should never be in. Our hope for is there, but our hope in is here. That's why it's a living hope the living hope that already beat death so we can sustain us through our own trials and challenges. And the third is um, to stay audacious. There's a lie. (laughs) There's a lie that says depleted hope is a mark of wisdom. Well, I've learned to just kind of not, you know, really kind of measure my hopes and really kind of not believe in the way that I used to because, you know, I've seen a lot of no's and heard a lot of no's and I just kind of know now. That's not the kingdom way. The kingdom way is to be like a child, right? Is to dare to dream. Is to experience disappointment, but to not see disappointment as the end of the hope. To believe in spite of the peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It stands like a soldier saying, that thought can't enter because there's hope happening here and we want to allow that thought to enter because the depletion of hope means disconnection with what God wants to tell us. Here's the, here's the, here's the invitation. Two things. To be reminded of the living hope through the elements that are underneath your chair. Uh, there's, there's bread and then there's juice. And it's just a picture of the reason why we have living hope. Because the crucified one didn't stay crucified. He defeated death. 
but he was crucified for us. So that of all of our brokenness, all of our pain, all, of, all the things that we've done that, and people know about, the things that we've done and people don't know about, he might take the full weight of that so we might get the full weight of his glory. So any time during this next set of worship, take the communion after you've reflected on the hope and the reason for the hope. And then also come forward for prayer. Here's this, here's this beautiful thing that it's, it's just a simple thing of being a child coming to God and saying, would you heal me, God? Here's my need. It's really simple. In this passage, there's this word used for healing and it's the Greek word sozo. And um, sozo means this holistic type of healing. It doesn't just mean physical. So we're invited to come to God and ask, would you sozo me? Would you heal me? Whether it's emotional, physical. Let me pray for us as we step into reflecting on what he's done in communion, singing songs of faith, and stepping forward for healing. God, we pray that this be a protected place, that where the courage and the audacity would would be honored by others and, and we would know it's honored by you. Would we feel your kindness? Would we feel your power? Spirit of God, would you come in this place? Would you heal and mend? Would you draw near and speak? Would we sense your nearness and know your power? We pray in the name of Jesus.